This Sunday, Christmas comes, or the season of Christmas comes to an official end with the Feast of the Baptism of Christ. In the good old days, before 1968, we shamelessly went about our liturgical business making merry over the incarnation of Christ until February the 2nd, the Feast of the Presentation of Christ in the Temple. The Christmas trees and the bright lights all came down on February 3rd. And yes, Catholics were out of step as ever with the world around us, but back then, the world around us was marching to the beat of a very different drummer. The Cold War was upon us with the dark promise of global nuclear extinction at the push of a button. In grade school, we were taught that in the event of a nuclear attack, we should crawl under our desks and cover our heads with our hands. The Civil Defense Administration called it duck and cover. It was supposed to protect us from the 100 million degree heat of an atomic blast. In the face of that grim reality, celebrating Christmas into February was not just an act of hope, it was an act of faith in the future, God's future. That's the only future worth having any hope in at all. This is what the Feast of the Baptism of Christ is meant to do. The liturgy is extending the joy of Christmas and the light of Epiphany into the cold and dark of January, a month so gloomy and bleak it needs all the help it can get. Unfortunately, since the reforms of the Council, the baptism of Christ now exists in a kind of liturgical no-man's land coming at the end of the solemn liturgies of the Christmas season and when we are all suffering from LFS, liturgical fatigue syndrome. Nor does it help when Epiphany and today's feast fall on the same day when the baptism of Christ gets moved to a Monday. Beyond this are the theological considerations. There is something about Christ's baptism that has bothered theologians over the centuries. John's was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, a call to Israel to return to her covenant God with a renewed mind, heart, and soul. And that begs the question, what was the sinless Son of God Israel's Redeemer doing at the Jordan. It clearly bothered the evangelists. Mark merely records it as a fact. Matthew and Luke are a little more cautious. Matthew makes it clear that Christ, being without sin, didn't really need it. And Luke never tells us who it was that baptized Christ. John's Gospel omits it completely. It's so incongruous that it meets the historian's criterion of criteria of dissimilarity. That is, the event is so contradictory that it actually speaks for its historical reliability. That is because there is a living theology hiding beneath this feast day. It's right there in the voice that says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. At some point in our lives, whether as infants or as adults, we were brought to the baptismal font, 
When cold water was poured over our heads, warm grace entered our hearts, and we were conformed to the pattern of Christ's own life. What he is by nature, God, we became by adoption. The theology of baptism draws a a direct line between those words spoken over Christ and ourselves, so that what God says of Christ, he also says of you and me. This is my beloved son, my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased, and by implication, act like it. This is something to keep in mind in the dark days of January and February, and in the even darker social and political climate that we find ourselves in.